faithfulness to you as a pastor who loves you, uh, who started a church in Fleetwood Heights, and thank you for his example and sacrifice. Lord, for whatever reason, you've allowed him to undergo this trial, and we don't know why, uh, but we do know that he has uh, faced this trial well and exemplified faith and trust in you no matter what, no matter uh, what suffering would befall him. But we ask for your grace on him that he would that you would draw near to him as he's drawing near to you in these final days or moments. We ask for your special care and grace and strength and comfort uh, for his wife in particular and also the children as they're transitioning to looking at a, a new life, uh, this new chapter of life without Mike uh, in their presence, but away from them for the time being. But uh, give them grace, Lord. Uh, I pray for the church family as well, that they would face this trial uh, well, that they would continue to support Mike and his family well, and to be there for them. I pray that the denomination would also just really uh, surround this, this family and church with a lot of love, a lot of grace, a lot of sacrifice, and whatever needs that they have at this time. Lord, as we transition now to looking at this text, we acknowledge that you are gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and loving kindness. We praise you, Jesus, that you have, in your timing, you have delayed your second coming, and there's a purpose for that. You are a God who desires that no one would perish. You are a God that desires that all would come to repentance, and we thank you for this delay that allows even more people to turn to you who need you and need salvation and need sanctification in their lives. Lord, would you by your Holy Spirit within us, uh, just show off your character, show off your holiness through us that more and more people would be attracted to you, Jesus, as they hear our words and as they see our actions and, and see our motivations and, and want what we have, and that is you in us, and just use us to reflect your character in our dark world. Help me to speak your words uh, today as I try to preach uh, for your glory alone. Through Christ we pray. Amen. bit of a cheesy intro but you know when you're using other people's templates that's all you got you know so at this time I'll uh, invite Lucy she is going to read today's scripture so Lucy is this okay I'll be reading second um, Peter 3 1 to 13 this is now this is now the second letter that I am writing to you beloved in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles, through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day, in the last days of scoffing and following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of this, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth 
that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that you, that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will burn up and dissolve, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Thank you very much. That was very well read, and I really appreciate that. We are continuing our summer sermon series on the book of Second Peter. It uh, is entitled, God's Grace Transforms, and we have worked our way through this entire book of the Bible. We'll actually finish next Sunday. I mistook, I thought it was going to be two more weeks after today, but because I can't do basic mathematics and planning, uh, this is, next week will be the final installment. Now, based on the passage that Lucy just read for us, the title of today's message is this, the closing window. The closing window. For example, imagine you have the windows open in the summertime. Sometimes these screens have holes in them, meaning sometimes bugs and wasps get into your house. So imagine you've got the windows open, it's hot outside, you've got a busted up screen. Sure enough, a, a giant wasp uh, flies into your home. Don't you just love that when, when that happens? Okay. Now, this is a dicey kind of situation. It is not long, though, after the wasp is flying around within the confines of your house, it realizes, this is boring. I need to go back out into the great wide open again, tries to get back to that window through which it came into initially, but it, knows, it notices there's a human being there, happens to be the homeowner, is trying to close this window to pull it down in order to trap this terrible giant wasp inside its house so that it can then take a newspaper and, you know, whack it, whack it. Now what happens? Well, just in the nick of time, the wasp notices the homeowner is closing this window. It is still open, but it is in the process of being closed. And so it flies, therefore, at blazing speed towards that narrowing opening. And bam, it happens. The window closes. But thankfully, the wasp, it escapes. Just in the nick of time, it barely makes it through that very tiny opening of the closing window, there is salvation. And so that's what apparently wasp salvation looks like. I don't mean to be irreverent with this idea, but the main picture, the idea of that analogy was the, the open window, the closing window, okay? And so focus on that. But we face closing windows actually all the time in our everyday lives. For example, you try to do something, you try to respond to something before it's too late. Before the clock strikes, strikes 12, the story of Cinderella or the story of Back to the Future, you try to get it done before the clock strikes a certain number, maybe it's 10 p.m. or 12 p.m. or midnight. For example, there's other examples for these closing windows that we face in our lives. You rush 
to take some vacation before school starts again. Are you not doing this right now, perhaps? I don't know. Uh, the window is closing. Summer vacation window is closing. Or you rush to get your kids registered for soccer or for hockey or basketball because that window is closing. Um, other windows you might face is if it's your spouse's birthday and you forgot all day long, but you just remembered at about 11.58 p.m., and it's still technically their birthday, and so you wish them a heartfelt, I don't know, Facebook message, message to them just in the nick of time because that window of opportunity, the birthday window, was closed. Basically, time is running out. And when it comes to this idea of time running out and this window closing, um, our passage today talks about the ultimate window closing. This is the window of heaven, if you will. This window of God's grace, this window of opportunity to connect with God, it, it's actually closing on humanity, all right? Yes, the opportunity to, to get right with God and begin this relationship with Christ that brings life to our lives and we are able to escape God's judgment for our sins. Well, this again, this window of relationship and salvation, it's closing, time is running out. And this window of salvation is closing. Not only should this motivate sort of you know that person who's kind of sitting on the fence? I mean, I've encountered a lot of people. They, they're sitting on the fence spiritually. They're sort of, you know, biding their time somewhat, waiting for maybe a little more time to enjoy life and enjoy themselves before repenting of their sins and saying yes to Christ. Uh, well, this closing window should be, should be motivation for that fence-sitting person, but also it should be motivation for the Christian and for the church family like us uh, to, to be reminded, we have to live lives of holiness because that window is almost closed. And every day that goes by, it's closing a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more, you see. And our job as a church family is to live lives of holiness where people see the character of Christ in us and then they want Jesus. They, they see that Christ makes a difference in our lives. They see that there is joy and flourishing in having a relationship with Christ. Now, it looks like I've already preached the sermon for today, have I? I mean, based on the passage, that's pretty much it, okay? And the rest of this is now details. However, there is one aspect in our passage that I have not yet talked about, and that is number one in your notes. There is a sermon outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. And number one is simply don't listen to the preacher. No, don't listen to the scoffers and the doubters. Don't listen to the scoffers and the doubters. And that's what we see in our passage. Interestingly, in the last couple of decades, particularly in Britain, Britain seems to be a, a hotbed of what is called the new atheism. And Richard Dawkins uh, is one of the main proponents. And he wrote uh, the book, The God Delusion. The God Delusion. And then Christopher Hitchens, he is now passed on. He wrote his own book called God is Not Great. I mean, these are books that are trying to make the case that there is no God. Okay, then you have the very funny British comedian, probably the world's most famous comedian at the current time, Ricky Gervais. Very funny guy. And Ricky Gervais, you know, he actually says, quote, I used to love Jesus. He used to be a Christian, but now he is not. He doesn't believe in Christ. He doesn't want anything to do with Christ. He doesn't want anything to do with Christianity. Uh, he thinks Christianity is a complete, utter myth. Okay, so... So what do we do with these guys, these new atheists, with guys that 
are kind of scoffers, kind of doubters, who say this Christianity business, it's a bunch of bunk, a bunch of baloney. It's a bunch of baloney. It's not, not true. What do we do with that? Well, look at verses 3 to 6 in our passage. Peter gives us some ideas. Uh, Peter says, and by the way, let me talk about the word scoffer. Now, we don't often use that word scoffer. And this just came to me this morning, and you can research this yourself. Don't quote me on this, but I believe it comes from a Hebrew word for scoffer. And the, the word itself is, is a, what's the word? It's, it's, it's basically, if you've ever heard someone, someone will say something, and then you'll respond with, you ever, say, ever do that? It's kind of phlegm-like, but, and you have to watch where it's going. But that's where the word scoff comes from. And it actually has some Hebrew roots, I believe. Now, research that, okay? So that's what the idea, and, it's, and when, you, when you go like, you, gen, you tend to, to not believe what the person is saying, okay? So that's where that word comes from, and it's very fitting in many ways. And so there are scoffers in Peter's day and age 2,000 years ago, and what are they doing? What does he say these scoffers and doubters are doing? He says they're actually following their own passions, their own sinful flesh desires and not holding back on pursuing those. This reminds me of that bus adver uh, advertisement. Again, in Britain, this is a, an advertisement, some marketing paid for a group of atheists some years ago, and they said, you know, there's probably no God. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Probably no God. Just do what you want. Do what thou wilt which is the, the primary tenet, like I mentioned last week, of the satanic Bible. Do what thou wilt. Okay? Everything about that idea is satanic. It kind of sounds like that sign is kind of what these scoffers that Peter is talking about are saying. Don't deny what your passions want. Say yes, yes, yes to what your body wants. Enjoy your life. Then Peter says, the scoffers and doubters say, Where's this second coming of Jesus that you talk about? This judgment, quote, judgment day. You know, where is that? Where's Jesus? Okay, he's, where is he? Seems to us, you know, things today have, are very much the same as they've always been since the very beginning. There is no God who is intervening in creation. That's what these scoffers would say, according to Peter. Now, how does Peter respond to this scoffing? He reminds them, really? You, there was a worldwide flood, a worldwide judgment that already occurred centuries ago, okay? If you scoffers, this is kind of what he's saying, and I paraphrase, if you scoffers think Jesus is, is not coming to judge the world, don't you forget God has already judged the world. And it happened with a worldwide flood many years ago. And this worldwide flood with Noah and all the rest, it, it obliterated the entire human race except for Noah and his, his family, and that served as a sneak preview of the coming more ultimate, more horrific worldwide judgment that is coming down the line. And so he's saying, look at that. It's happened already. It's going to happen again. It's going to happen again, but even worse. Let me, let me say this. You and I live in a world that is filled with scoffers, with doubters of Christianity, and this, this idea kind of reminds me, and this reality that in which we live, reminded me of an old camp experience from my childhood. And I went to camp for a lot of years. Some years were so much fun, and other years, not so much, you know. 
kind of depends on the year and who you're with uh, and who's leading the camp. But anyhow, there was this one particular game in camp as a kid. I think it was Bible camp even. And I want you to imagine this scene as I try to describe this game that they had us play. And it was a, basically, it was a game called You Can't Do It. You Can't Do It. Very encouraging game, isn't it? I mean, so here's how this works. Imagine this scene. Let me set this up for you. Imagine a giant log. And so back in the woods, there was all kind of, kinds of logs there. And sometimes they would make, you know, sort of playgrounds out of these logs. And it was a very long log suspended off the ground by about yay high. And for most kids, you know, they could walk from one end of the log to the other. Now, with this game, you can't do it. How the, the leader of this game set it up was with all the other kids in the camp, they would line up on one side of the log and then line up on the other side of the log. And how this would work was the, the leader would then coach them by saying, you now need to say together as loudly and as annoyingly as you can the words, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't and on and on, and it's still playing in my mind, and it's very annoying as I hear those tiny voices say that over and over again. And so what would happen was every kid would take a turn and try to go down this log. Normally, they could do it without any problem, but as they're going down the log, they hear these voices, you can't do it, you can't do it. They would, in most cases, fall off the log. Why did this happen? It's because they were listening to the voices and believing their doubts and their scoffing. And they allowed those scoffers to define reality for them. Now, there were some exceptions. There was one or two kids that made it from one end of the log to the other. How did these successful kids make it from one end of the log to the other? They tuned out the voices. They did not listen to the scoffers and the doubters as ear-piercing and these high-pitched voices were at that time. And they had sort of the mental toughness and desire to tune out the voices and to not let these voices define what was true, that they could actually make it from one end of the log to the other. You see? You can't, this, you can't do a game is a lot like your life as a Christian in our day and age. Most things that we view in entertainment, Netflix, you name, you name it, most things that we are seeing in our entertainment scoff against the Christian faith. Most things that you see on social media very often scoff against the Christian faith. I mean, that's Ricky Gervais' primary means is Twitter and Instagram, I believe. Mo many work environments in which we work, and if it's, a, if it's a public school environment or if it's a government environment, very often, those environments sort of scoff or look down upon the ways of Christianity or even Jesus himself. And the irony is, is that Christianity is the greatest religion in the world, the only true religion in the world if we believe what the Bible says. And so they're saying the greatest God, the greatest religion, the most loving religion in the world that's helped the most people throughout history, that's terrible. I mean, it's just nuts. It's not true. And so how can we walk the log successfully from one end to the next? How do we walk this log and make it to the other side by not falling off? We do it by not allowing the, yourself or ourselves as a church family to be negatively 
influenced by the scoffing and the doubting voices we hear every day. A big part of that is just moment by moment, every day, trusting in the power of God's Spirit within us to protect us from ourselves, to protect us from the world in which, you know, these doubting voices want to bring us down. And we've got to trust in His power that He is with us and helping us. But beyond that, this is why, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in age now, okay, a little bit. You might resent me for that, I realize. Uh, but a little bit older than I was yesterday, at the very least. And the older I get, the more I'm increasingly of the belief that most Christians will not stay with Jesus unless they commit to sort of the basic spiritual disciplines. And I've seen this pattern time and again. I call it the spiritual drift. Next thing you know, they're here one year and gone the next. He's like, what happened? It's because they weren't very often doing the basics and committing to the basics. The, one of the primary basics is time with Jesus most every day. Reading the Bible for yourself. It's your spiritual nutrition. If there's no scripture in your life, it is hard to stay committed and focused as a Christian and not listening to those voices. And so that idea, that spiritual discipline, just reading the Bible for yourself every day, praying to Jesus every day, pouring out your heart, doing the acts, prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, just the basics. I mean, that will help you enormously, if not maybe more than anything else. And then the basics of regular church attendance, coming here as often as you can, as, as much as you may fall asleep in the service, okay, it still helps. It's subliminal. The preaching is going in subliminal, in a subliminal, unconscious way, perhaps. But it all helps. You come here to be refreshed in worship. You hear from God and His Word. You connect with other Christians. You encourage each other. You receive love from other, other Christians. We're in this together. You know, it, it all helps. And I could go on about community groups and discipleship groups and all the rest. But it all helps. I've just seen the drift occur so many times over the years. And people think, oh, I don't need scripture. I don't need to make a commitment to that or prayer. I, I can just kind of hit and miss with church, you know. It just doesn't help. Spiritual disciplines are, are, are means of grace to receive help, to help us not listen to the voices, to help us not fall off the log or fall off the wagon. Okay, there we go. I think I, I've made the point there. Uh, thank you to Darlene, who is, uh, I think for today is the first uh, Sunday she's on for... Uh, doing the slides, and I have just went way off script there. I, I don't know how that went, but anyhow, thank you for putting up with that. The second point I want to share with you that we see in this passage uh, is this, and this is number two in your notes, and it goes as such. Since Judgment Day is coming any day now, take advantage of the Lord's patience and repent. Take advantage of the Lord's patience and repent. That window's closing. We see this point being made by Peter. Uh, verses 8 and 10, if you have the passage in front of you, look at verses 8 and 10. Let me paraphrase what's going on there, what he says. Uh, basically, he's saying, with God, one day is like a thousand years. And then a thousand years to God is like one day. In other words, God does not view time the same way that we view time. God is much more patient than I am, than we are. And God's timing is always better, wiser, far superior than our preferred timing. His way is always the best way. He's got the big picture. He's got the bird's eye view on human history. And Peter is saying, God is not slow. He's not having a nap. He's not distracted. It's not like we're just waiting for God to do, God, hurry up, do something, do your job, God. No, no, no. No, no, no. He never takes a break. 
He is fully aware of everything that he should be doing. He never fails. And so God is patient. And God is keeping that window open for as long as possible. Why? That all should come to repentance. That all who are his would turn to Jesus. He's trying to save as many people as possible. Do you see? Don't you see that? And then Peter says, then the window, eventually that window is going to close. So I mean, every day, like I said, every day that goes by, that window is narrowing, 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 narrowing. And then someday it will close. And then salvation, that opportunity, it's gone. It's too late. It's too late to repent and come to Christ. What a terrible day that that will be for the person who is sitting on the fence who is not yet a Christian. Because Peter says, on that day, so window closed, Jesus comes back, and he will unexpectedly come like a thief. How many successful thieves are there? Maybe you've experienced a thief breaking into your house at some point. And if it was a successful thief, meaning they actually took some valuable stuff from your house and got away with it, how many successful thieves come and break into your home do you expect? Zero. If you were expecting them, what would you have done? Bought a gun. Don't buy guns. <laughs> done something. I don't know. Alarm system. Stayed there. Not left on vacation. Whatever. And it will happen unexpectedly. So he's going to be like a thief. He is coming. That is judgment day. And then it says everything is going to be exposed. Everything will be laid bare. Everything in our hearts. Everything will be exposed for all to see. By the way, I just want to mention this. Before I get too deep into this, <laughs> there's some confusion about whether eventually the, the world will be burned up or restored because there's passages on both sides of the burning up and then the rest restoration. And so there's some commentary Bible study notes there in on that sermon outline. You can read for yourself and there it is and you can sort it out. And we're not sure whether it's the burning or it's just something we're not seeing or it will happen in a different way. Anyhow, it nicely describes what scripture may be saying when it comes to the culmination of all things. Well, what this boils down to, there is a date on God's calendar. And this date is marked. We don't know which day it is. Only he knows what day it is. And that is the date on God's calendar that the window of salvation will finally close. And for the Christian, that is a very good day. It is a day of full and complete total rescue. Uh, evil is destroyed, defeated. Sin is no more. Suffering is no more. That is a very good day for the Christian. However, if you're not yet a Christian, it is the worst day. And it's a worst day because it's too late. You missed your chance. You missed your chance to repent of your sins, trust in Christ, and be baptized as Christ was baptized by your own choice. This is sort of like the best analogy I could come up with was this. Imagine a young couple. Sometimes young couples fall in love. Maybe this was you currently or back in the day. And imagine this couple, they fall in love at a fairly young age. And, and you know, you know she, she wants to get married as soon as possible. Rattles now, let's get married. But he, while agreeing in principle, how many times have you seen this? Kept saying, not yet, someday, but not just yet. Problem is the years start going by. He keeps wanting to sort of sow his wild oats and enjoy life. Amazingly, she keeps waiting for this guy. Keeps waiting for him to finally come back and marry her. 
Now a year goes by, another year, another year, another year. He keeps saying to himself, don't worry, someday I will marry you. I just don't want to miss out on all that life has for me. Keyword being me. And she keeps saying to herself, she's so patient. If he comes back, no matter who he's been with or what he's done, I am going to marry this guy and I will forgive him. I love him. Sadly, after waiting for this guy for 20 years, she finally, the gray hair was the heads up. Maybe it's not happening. <laughs> 20 years, she finally marries someone else. Well, he's heartbroken. He's heartbroken. He tries to convince her, break off the marriage and marry me instead. I'm ready now. I'm ready now, finally. And she says, sorry, buddy. I was waiting for 20 years. It's too late. Windows closed. And do you see where I'm going with this? This is why the Bible says, today, doesn't say tomorrow. Today, not yesterday. Not two weeks from now. Today is the day of salvation. Point being, it's urgent today. Like, don't waste time here. It, it could be, it's here today. It's here now, but it could be gone later today if Jesus returns today. And that very well may happen. We have to live with that awareness and expectation that Jesus could come at any moment. And we need to be ready. We need to be, become a Christian. And so I urge you, do not say to yourself, you know, I'm going to bide my time. I'm going to repent of my sins later on my deathbed. Just before I pass on, I'll repent and become a Christian. But until then, I'm going to do whatever I want. This is not a wise bet. This is not a, a bet that anyone in Vegas would ever take or should take. Maybe they do. I don't know. Don't take that bet. Rather, take advantage. I'm just saying, take advantage. There's the window. It's open. Go through the window while you can. Come to Christ with repentance of sin. Come to him with faith and trust. Come to him with baptism. And, and don't miss out. I mean, this is why you exist. This is why I exist. This is why you exist. This is why we exist, is to have a relationship with God. We were meant to enjoy God and glorify him forever, to have this relationship, this love-filled, joy-filled relationship with God that brings us hope and meaning and purpose. There's nothing better. This is what it's all about. Let's not miss out on what it's all about. Let us not miss out on what it's all about. Let's finish things off and look at the third thing we see in this passage that I want to submit to you. It's a bit long, but it goes like this. In light of the imminency of Judgment Day and the ushering in of the new heavens and the earth, live a life of holiness. Live a life of holiness. So let me, this is bad math. Well, it's, it's kind of good math, I guess, but it's simple because I'm simple when it comes to math. A plus B equals C. Okay, <laughs> that's amazing. Anyhow, but my point is, if this is what life is for, if your future and my future, it's all leading towards one direction, that is judgment day, and then with Christ, new heavens, new earth, with God and his people forever, then logically does it not follow A plus B equals C, that we should live lives today that reflect this reality. This is what Peter was teaching us, or is teaching us in verses 11 to 13. Let me quickly paraphrase. So take a look at those verses if you have them in front of you, 11 to 13. 
since everything is about to be dissolved and then restored. Okay, sounds like it will be dissolved and then restored. That's going to be how it's going to work. And while we wait patiently for this to happen, let us live lives of holiness, of godliness, of God-likeness, of Christ-likeness, where we are reflecting His character in our everyday lives. And the amazing thing is, and that helps me sort of get my mind and heart around this truth, uh, is that, and then this, is, this is the motivation, there is no person in the universe who is better than Christ, who is more holy and morally perfect than Christ, who is more loving than Jesus Christ. There's no better example for us to aspire to and want to live like and live for than Jesus. Again, he is the most loving. He is the most beautiful. Jesus Christ is the most helpful and awe-inspiring person in the universe because he's God. I mean, that's motivation. I want to be like him. And he allows me the privilege of being changed into his likeness. And amazingly, this is what happens. God the Holy Spirit is given to each and every true Christian to live within you. And he is sent into your heart to change you from the inside out. Every day he transforms you as you trust in him and you daily repent of your sins. And you daily repent of those addictions. And he, like clay, a potter with clay, molds and shapes you more and more, little by little, into the image of Christ for his glory. So when people see you, they see a little bit of Christ. And the more and more people hang around with you in your workplace, in your families, in your neighborhood, they see Christ in you, and they see how attractive and good and helpful he is, and they say, I want Christ in my life as well. Let me clarify a couple of teaching points here before I land the plane. So the plane is not about to quite land, so bear with me. A couple of points of clarification. Let me be clear. We do not earn our way into heaven by our own strength or by our own self-righteousness or self-righteous ways. Okay, that's not, we don't earn our way into heaven by our own holiness. It doesn't work that way. No, we rather, we obey God. Uh, we don't obey God so that he will love us. We obey God because he already loves us. He's already saved us. So we live a life of obedience and love towards God because it's, we're already in as his kids. We've already received this promise of new heavens and new earth because of Jesus. And Jesus, what did he do for us in the gospel? He lived our perfect life for us in our place as our perfect representative, a perfect example. Jesus died our death on the cross for our sins in our place as our perfect sacrifice. And then he rose from the dead to defeat Satan's sin and death on our behalf. And so Jesus has done all the earning of our salvation. Now we simply, you and I, I pray, Imperfectly, we are desiring to live lives of holiness in response to his cross because we love Christ. That's sort of the basics of obedience, just like kids with parents. Why do kids obey their parents? You have to? Is there some love there? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Generally, we obey God because he loves us and we love him. That's kind of how it works. Second thing I want to just bring to your attention for clarification it seemed, did you know, I don't know if you noticed this in the passage. It seems to be that Peter is suggesting that we as God's people can hasten, can sort of speed up the coming of Christ by our holy lives. Isn't that interesting? And he doesn't go into great detail here, but it seems like we can actually speed up the coming of, of Christ by our living increasingly holy lives. And it's very interesting. There's another thing with that, though. Uh, by the way, have you ever heard of this? 
it's, <laughs> we're careful about making it a huge doctrine, but it's almost like a second judgment for Christians. Have you heard this teaching before? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 seems to su suggest that there's a second judgment for Christians where your ministry and your work uh, as a Christian in your earthly life, it actually will be examined by Christ. Yes, heaven, you're going to heaven. There's no worries or concerns about that. And yet your work will be judged by him and it will be exposed for good or for bad. And so that's, that's good to know. That's important for us to, to remember. Let me try to land this plane finally. You guys with me on the, the landing of the plane? Let's land the plane of this sermon with one last example. Actually, two. Let's talk about doctors and mechanics. Kind of the same thing, aren't they? Just different, <laughs> different application. Doctors and mechanics. Well, I want you to imagine uh, one doctor. And, you know, smokes like a chimney. Okay? Three packs every day. On top of that, he eats, eats about a pack of bacon every morning. And that's just the warm-up for the rest of his breakfast. Further, not only does he have some questionable uh, personal habits, but he constantly misdiagnoses his patients a lot. Is this your doctor, by the way? I hope not. Okay. Might want to fire the doctor. Okay, let's move on to mechanics who are working with cars generally. Imagine your car mechanic, okay, keeps forgetting to put oil back in your car after draining the oil. Just keeps doing that. It's like, seriously? Come on. Are you, what are you? And then strangely, he doesn't even drive his own car. He drives a scooter to work. I mean, that should be a signal. And then he constantly is misdiagnosing people's cars. He rarely, rarely ever fixes anybody's car. So with this bad doctor and this bad mechanic, are they technically a doctor? Are they technically a mechanic? Are they legally possessing these roles? Yes, they are because they have the certificate on the wall. That's a bad example. Is it a kangaroo? I don't know. Imagine a certificate is on their wall in their office or in their shop, okay? It's there. So they have the status of doctor. They have the status of mechanic. However, when you look at these guys, you look at this doctor mechanic, how they conduct their lives, how they conduct themselves in their own line of profession and work, it's clear there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect here. They've lost the script. They can't see the big picture of how, if I would just do my job and live the life, how many more people could I help? How many more people could I fix? How many cars could be helped if I just lived the life? If I just would be, be who I am? If I would just be a, a doctor? If I would just be a mechanic? You see where I'm going? Maybe? So it is with Mercy Hill Church. Here we are. We are a family of Christ followers. We are a family on mission. And our aim and our mission together is to live a holy life for God. And this is a lifestyle um, that shows off Christ is in us. And we show off Christ in our words, our actions, our motivations, our thoughts, so that more people see us and they worship God. They see our conduct. They, they, they see our actions and our life and, our, and just how we conduct our lives. And they're just like, I want what you got. Like, I'm missing what you got. You got something I don't have. I want what is happening in you. What's your secret? They see the joy in your life. And they see the love in your life. 
and they see the care for other people in your life, and they see the holiness in your life, and they're like, that's amazing. I want that. Let me close with this last thought. I've said it already. A plus B equals C. If this is what life is for, if your future and my future, it's all leading towards judgment day, and as a Christian, new heavens, new earth, bliss with God and his people forevermore, if that's where we're going, then logically, does it not follow that we should live lives today that reflect that we're going there and that we're all about that? We're all about Christ, all about future with Christ. And so because of that, A plus B equals C, we must be living lives of increasing holiness, very imperfect lives, yes, but lives of daily repentance, lives of daily change, lives of daily trusting in the Holy Spirit to bring about change in us so that people see Christ in us. Let's pray. Plain landed. Jesus, thank you for this reminder to live lives of holiness. You know, this is serious stuff. This is not just wasps getting trapped in houses or anything like that because of closed windows, but this is, this is, the, this is the big picture. This is, gets no more important than you being patient with us, you inviting us into this relationship with Christ because of your finished work on the cross and because of that finished work, our sins can be forgiven. We can have this new relationship with you. Help us to see the big picture because there are voices on either side saying we can't do it or that it's just a bunch of baloney. And help us to not listen to those voices and not be controlled or defined by those voices, but rather controlled and defined by you and by your words in Scripture. So save us from those voices. Save us from those flesh desires that are within us that want to pull us down and jump off the log. Help us to stay true to you. Help us to stay focused on the big picture. And would you use us as a church family to reach even more people for your name's sake, to share the hope that we have in Christ with those who are currently without hope? There's so many people in our lives that are caught up in addiction. I just need Christ to break that power of addiction and sin in their lives. Use us, use us, use us. Lord, we come to the time of the Lord's Supper and we have, would have nothing without your cross, nothing without your resurrection, nothing without your gospel. And so we remember and celebrate all that you've done for us. Would you draw near to us as we draw near to you in this memorial meal? Through Christ uh, we pray, amen. So now.